In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. How does the church call us to start the season of great and holy Lent? A season that is called a joyous season. A season that is called a healing season. A season that the church calls the springtime of the soul. Why? Because should we follow God through this season with all of the graces that He gives us beginning tonight, new life can sprout up in us amidst our fasting, amidst our prayer, amidst all the extra services that we do. In our cooperation with Him, the shackles that once bound us in sin, we become released of. Because the healing work of God comes upon us and He shares His nature with us. That's why it's called that. So how does God, through His church, call us to enter in to this great and holy season? We take ashes. We place them upon the forehead in the sign of a cross. And just that action alone tells us everything about what God is trying to remind us of from the get-go that we get so distracted from and deceived from throughout the whole course of most of our everyday lives. The ashes. What do the ashes represent? What is said? Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. The ashes represent our mortality. A very real condition of man past the fall of man. Beyond the fall of man. Our time on this earth is finite. And not one person in this room knows the day or the hour or the moment. That our soul will not depart this body and go before our Lord. Not one. And so the ashes remind us of our mortality. Why on the forehead? Remember when you hear just before the gospel is read, when the gospel is announced, we make the sign of the cross on our forehead, upon our mouth, and upon our heart, making the statement, the gospel, your gospel, Lord. Let it be always on my mind, upon my lips, coming from me, the joyous gospel, and residing in my heart for the healing of my soul, and gushing forth like living waters for me, on my mind. What's the message God gives from the very beginning of Lent? Let your mortality be on the forefront of your mind. Not in the recesses, not an afterthought. Let the blessedness of the idea of your mortality be there so that you are drawn to me in every moment of every day because I am the God of mercy that wants to touch your life, heal your soul, Bind you up within myself and gift you with my salvation. And I want to do it now while you're upon the earth. And so we're mindful of our mortality. My friends, you know this. I know this. We, it is in all of us that we go through our lives thinking that we have more days. Thinking that we have more hours because we're used to living. It's just natural. And so we become spiritual procrastinators. We play those games where, and you've heard this statement, I've determined I'm going to stop procrastinating tomorrow. And we play those games spiritually with God, 
with our soul, the only eternal thing that we have within us and our unity and our oneness and our relationship with him. We say, I've got more time. I've got more time because I've had such and such a time already. The reality is that those who go through life thinking they've got all the time in the world end up not having all the time in the world for the true repentance that heals the soul, draws us into God and saves us. You know, the early church lived as though their mortality was right in front of them. They knew that at any moment their soul could depart and be with God. They also knew at any moment Christ could return and time was over. In fact, they lived that way so, so authentically that the gospel spread so rapidly throughout the known world and Christ was experienced in his people. Because His people offered their lives, their souls to God in such a way as if there is no tomorrow. And we saw the known world swept with the gospel of Jesus Christ. St. Paul mentions this in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing to that church in chapter 5 when he writes this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brother, are not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. How then shall we live? As if we do not have these other moments that we count on. We don't live like that as people in the light. We live as those who don't sleep. We live as those who are watchful and sober. We live... As the parable of the virgins tells us to live always, every moment, with oil in our lamps, lest we miss the bridegroom coming and bringing us to that blessed wedding, our union with him eternally. That word mortality, the culture of death that is outside of Christ has convinced us that the word mortality ought to leave a bad taste in our mouth. And I tell you that in Christianity, mortality is blessedness. Because our God, through our mortality, if we will look at it honestly, look at it authentically as if it truly is something real. If we'll look at that, we will receive divine grace moment upon moment for the healing of our souls, for peace settling once again where there's chaos into our very being. We don't need to shun mortality. 
We need to embrace it in our Lord Jesus Christ who conquered it so that we might not have to taste death. So how shall we deal in the moments if we're mortal? I give you the words of the prophet Joel that you heard read as the epistle today from chapter 2. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me. Oh, there's that blessed invitation. Listen to me. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Lent is the great and loud and clear call for God's people to wake up, turn about, and come before the God, their healer, the lover and creator of all of our souls. St. Cyprian of Carthage, a very early church father, he was a bishop who died in the mid-200s. Okay, so very early on. Listen to what he says. His comment is teaching about what the prophet Joel said. He says, let us each confess his sin. I beseech you, brother, while he who has sinned is still in this world, while his confession can be admitted, while his confession can be admitted and the satisfaction and remain affected through the priest, which is pleasing to the Lord. Let us turn to the Lord with our whole mind and expressing repentance for our sin with true grief. Let us implore God's mercy. Let the soul prostrate itself before him. Let sorrow give satisfaction to him. Let our every hope rest upon him. What's the message? How do we turn to God? How do we live in the moments with an absolute bare and authentic and honest heart before God at all times? What God? The God who longs to hear the cry of his people crying mercy. The God who longs to hear a cry for deliverance. Because it is this God who always steps into those cries and extends mercy beyond what we could even fathom and deliverance to free us from all things that bind us and bring us to himself. Rend your hearts, not your garments. What does that mean? They used to tear their garments as a sign of weeping, as a sign of mourning and a few other things. We take our hearts and we rend them. We mourn within our hearts by the conviction of the Holy Spirit who has made his home in us. And we weep with honest weeping that we have fallen short the very definition of sin. Of all that God is. And we weep and God meets us in the weeping as we rend our hearts. As I said last week in Sunday school, we come before him with the most filthy clothes. The most filthy rags. We come before him and we offer that to him. And what does he do? He exchanges the filthy rags for fine linen and a fine robe. And he clothes us as sons and daughters of love. Just like the prodigal son, we return with humility. We return with honesty. We come back and cry out, I'm not even worthy to be in your house. Make me a servant. And what's the response of the father? That we anticipate always when we come before him with the cry of mercy, the father runs out to the son he thought dead. And he says, bring my finest robe, put it on my son. 
kill the fatted calf. We feast today because my son who I thought was dead has returned and I love. And I shower that love upon and we share it together. My friends, that's Lent. That is Lent. With our mortality before us, let us reprogram what was lost. That we live every moment with the Jesus prayer as our means of living. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And I conclude with the concluding prayer of the blessing of the ashes as our prayer entering into Lent. Grant, we beseech thee, O Lord, that we who now with prayer and fasting do put upon us the armor of our Christian warfare, being defended by the power of abstinence, may fight manfully against all spiritual wickedness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.